Welcome to On DOD on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Now your host, Jared Serbu. Thanks for joining us this week. And we have an Army-focused show this time around. In the second half of the hour, a deep dive on how the Army's employing artificial intelligence and machine learning with the commander of Army Combat Capabilities Development Command. First, though, an extended conversation with Mark Esper, the Secretary of the Army. Secretary Esper sat down with my colleague Scott Massioni to talk about a wide range of issues, including how the Army's handling the matter of substandard living conditions that's been in the news recently, and how it's changing its recruiting practices for both civilian and military personnel. First, though, some big-picture priorities, including how the Army's realigning its modernization portfolio to bring itself in line with the national defense strategy. Here's Secretary Esper. I think we've been in the uh, in a great power competition for a few years now, uh, but it, it was just... Uh, really uh, reflected in last year's national defense strategy where we came out and said okay we recognize now that we are in it it is time to shift our focus toward great power competition against uh, strategic competitors such as russia and china and of course there are other countries listed there Uh, and we need to ensure we're prepared to fight and win in a high intensity conflict and so that is where the army has been the last uh, few years is focused on that and when it comes to the budget if you were to look at our budget, you would see uh, a dramatic shift in the uh, in the budget we put forward just to make sure that we were consistent with the national defense strategy. So with regard to everything we do, whether it's how we man, organize, train, equip the force and lead it, we're making big shifts. I like to say that the Army is in a renaissance right now as you make this transition. But our budget reflects all that as well. And most dramatically, it has been in our equipping budget where over the five-year defense plan, we shifted over $30 billion from what I like to say is our legacy equipment, the equipment that uh, uh, that was present when I joined the Army uh, on active duty in 1986, uh, the big five systems like the Abrams tank, the Bradley fighting vehicle, the uh, Apache helicopter. We're now making that leap into the next generation of technology uh, that is based upon uh, capabilities such as uh, uh, high-powered lasers, hypersonic weapons, uh, directed energy artificial intelligence robotics. So it's a major transition for the United States Army, but we believe that's what we need to do if we're going to be prepared to fight and win in the future. So how are you harnessing industry? How are you bringing those partners in, especially when they're not very defense-focused sometimes? Yeah, no, it's, it, you are correct. There has been a, a shift over the many, many years from uh, technologies that were driven by the defense industrial base to now technologies that we bring in from the commercial sector. And uh, what we try to do is is to harness that, and uh, to do that, we we made a major change in the Army's structure. It's the biggest change since 1973, and what we did was stand up what's called Army Futures Command. And the purpose of Army's Futures Command was to, first of all, envision the future and how our enemies will fight, and then secondly, envision how we would need to fight to defeat them, and then thirdly, uh, determine the requirements for equipment and, and other things, weapons, to make sure we're prepared to fight and, and, and win that fight. And so an uh, important part of what we've done with the Futures Command is also put it in a, one of America's major technological hubs, a, a city with a great deal of spirit and innovation, uh, ingenuity and entrepreneurs, and that's Austin, Texas. And also, rather than putting it uh, behind uh, walls with MPs and barbed wire, we are find ourselves embedded in the University of Texas uh, 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 system. There are buildings down there. And we have uh, other outlets in the area, 
and frankly, around the country where we're reaching out to small businesses, we're reaching out to entrepreneurs and innovators, we're reaching out to um, academia to get those best ideas from the commercial sector, from the private sector, so we can harness them and adapt them to our needs on the battlefield. Um, one good example was earlier this year, I had the chance to open up the Army's new artificial intelligence uh, task force at Carnegie Mellon University. And it's, and it's centered not just on in Pittsburgh with Carnegie Mellon, but also there are other schools that will be participating with us on that campus. Again, to uh, draw the, the best ideas and technologies coming out of a fantastic school like Carnegie Mellon and its expertise in robotics and AI. So that's just one example of how we're really trying to, to, to get on the other side of, uh, of, of that curve. So you, you mentioned Futures Command, and I think in July it's going to be a year old. It's still sort of finding its legs and, and getting set up. And, and General Murray is the, the, the person in charge. So what would you say to taxpayers and to soldiers and to Congress, you know, about what Futures Command has accomplished so far? Where, where is it taking the Army? How has it gotten it there so far? And, and, and what is left to be done? Yeah, so Futures Command has come a long way. Uh, they're not yet fully operationally capable, but they'll be near ready uh, here soon. Uh, they, they have to, you know, hiring is the difficult part because you want to get the best people. But uh, they're already making a number of uh, uh, major strides and uh, it driven at this point largely by our cross-functional teams. But what I'd say to, uh, to the various audiences you, you mentioned there is this. First of all, we, we finally have a command that is bringing together the entire modernization enterprise to make sure that we do the, the, the most important task is provide our soldiers the equipment they need uh, when they need it. That's, that's task number one. Number two, important to Congress and the taxpayers as well, is to, is to provide that at, a, at an affordable cost. We need to be good stewards of, the, of, of America's hard-earned tax dollars. And so we're doing that at cost. And again, we're already seeing accomplishments by, uh, by General Murray and Futures Command on both fronts. And I'm very excited about the future and his ability to uh, deliver capabilities on time, uh, on, on cost, with the performance uh, parameters and requirements we need. And within this Futures Command, and also talking about private industry, uh, intellectual property has been a, a real kind of tension point between the, the two. How are you looking forward at intellectual property and licensing? Uh, and, and I know that Bruce Jetty has some ideas on it. So, you know, how open are you to some of the things that he's talked about as well? Sure. Intellectual property is very important. I've, I've worked on this in the past. And uh, late last year, the Army came out with its own intellectual property policy. It was a policy that uh, we worked closely with industry on. And I think we've gotten rave reviews across the board because what we try to do is take a very business-like approach to uh, – to intellectual property. So uh, simple things like deciding which pieces of equipment or technology we we really need the IP for and which we don't. And then if we we think we want the IP, then how do we work through a a market-based solution to get it, Uh, whether it's uh, buying it up front or whether it's a royalties-based solution that would endure over time. Uh, And then third, bake that into the agreement uh, before we ever uh, begin production, whatever the case may be. So we've gotten a lot of good reviews from industry. Uh, OSD, uh, Office of Secretary of Defense, sees it as a a very strong benchmark for what they may adopt as well. So I'm I'm very pleased with what he and his team did, and I think we've set a good standard for, uh, for where all of DOD should go. How are you working that into working with the smaller businesses and the more innovative businesses? Because you don't know, like Lockheed Martin, you know, will probably be around in 20 years. You don't know that 
you know, some small company that's still in a garage is going to be around in, in 20 years. So how do you how do you kind of play with that intellectual property when it comes to sustainment and, you know, needing a piece of an equipment? farther down the road well that's that is the challenge if i could give you a hard and fast rule then that would that would mean that we really don't have a flexible <laughs> sure. and adaptable ip policy but the key is to be flexible and adaptable to uh to anybody whether it's like you said the the, the small innovator in a working out of his or her garage or it's a it's a ginormous company uh, we need to be flexible in in our approach uh, the, the bigger challenge with the small uh, player is finding them and reaching out to them and and if their technology looks promising providing them that seed money if you will to fully develop it so we've tried to do for example our our own version of shark tank in the army whereby uh, small firms will come in and they'll pitch and we're able to decide fairly quickly whether we want to help them along with some money or, uh, or or otherwise by which we could again uh help them grow as a company help them develop their technology and then bring it into what we need for the army to fight and win I want to move to a little bit more of some personnel issues. One of the things that you've talked about is hiring civilians better, and I've I've heard you talk about this a couple of times. Um, Do you have any ideas on how to change the process on hiring civilians better and and more effectively within the Army, and and what might you do to implement that in the future? Yeah, there's there's two ways in which I talk about this. Mostly involves uh, the hiring of, uh, of, of our spouses, Mm-hmm. and uh, filling up our child care centers. And uh, it, the, the two issues there are related. Uh, the bottom line is we our process currently takes too long, in many cases well over 100 days, to hire somebody. And uh, look, your, your good talent's not going wait to wait around for three or four months to get hired. And in many cases, uh, you know, we have spouses who need to work, and in many other cases they simply want to work. In all cases, they tend to be um, uh, overqualified and underemployed. So we need, uh, across the government now, a, a uh, hiring system that's much more adaptable, flexible, uh, transparent, and, and quick in terms of making these decisions. And uh, we're trying to work as best we can within the authorities we have to do that. We've had some success. Uh, I've pushed hard for direct hiring authority. We've seen our numbers come down, but we need to do much, much better on this front. Now, on the military side, you, you do have some of these uh authorities to do that. And, and there was recent changes in DAPMA and the NDAA last year, which uh, gave you high, better direct authority, easier ways to promote. Uh, have you been able to to really use those much yet? And, and if so, how are they, they working out? Yes, we've used, we've looked at all the authorities and we've begun putting them in, in to work. In some cases, we've had some early success. So we've, we've been able to bring directly into the service, for example, uh, several, several persons who would become officers in our cyber corps uh, and, and we're trying to exercise all the other authorities but it's it all has to be woven into a, a much bigger um, personnel system that we're trying to overhaul and that is what I like to say is an, a market-based talent management system that uh, gets away from up and uh, up or out into what I like to call perform or out and uh, we're working hard right now to develop that we've had a lot of good progress in the last several months uh, but the aim, again, is to really optimize our talent by recognizing each person's unique knowledge, skills, and behaviors combined with their preferences to really uh, make sure we meet the Army's requirements in a much more optimal way and in a way that will ensure uh, better satisfaction from the Army's perspective and from the individual's perspective to maximize performance in each and every role. 
So in order to, to implement that, what's left? Because, I mean, you do have the authorities from Congress at this point. Is there more authority that you need, or is this more up of promulgation type thing? I think we have sufficient authority now. It's just a matter of developing the system, uh, getting the word out, uh, having people use it, and then get over, getting beyond whatever cultural hurdles we have as yeah. well. And that, that'll probably be the, the, the most difficult thing. It will take some time, but I, I have a, a great partner in the, uh, in the uh, next chief of staff, General Jim McConville, who was... Uh, formerly the G1, the head of personnel, but also a big believer in talent management system. So uh, I, th I think he and I will be able to move out pretty quickly and, and get this uh, underway. Mark Esper is the Secretary of the Army. He spoke with Federal News Network's Scott Massioni. Secretary is back with us after a short break on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. This is On DOD. I'm Jared Servio. Back on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. This is on DOD. I'm Jared Serbu. And Army Secretary Mark Esper is with us for this part of the program. He sat down with my colleague Scott Massioni for a wide-ranging discussion of some of the issues facing the Army right now, including a civilian hiring process that he says is still too slow and that he's still trying to fix. Another personnel issue is the housing crisis uh, that's, that's recently come up, uh, obviously very serious to, to all the services. You have made some changes already, and I was, just want to give you a chance to sort of explain some of those so that people out there can know what, what has happened and, and what they, options are open for them. Sure. Well, the, the, the issue, in, in short, uh, in, for those folks who aren't aware, is that we found that um, many of our families were living in homes that were substandard because the private sector companies that took over 20 years weren't attending to them. And to be fair, we as a chain of command weren't paying attention, sufficient attention as well. And so uh, this, this reached a crescendo a few months ago. I think uh, the Army quickly jumped on it. The chief of staff and I, for example, went out to Fort Meade, walked through several homes, met with several families. Uh, since that time, I've been to various posts around the country, whether it's uh, uh, whether it was uh, Fort Bragg or West Point, or just last week, I walked through a couple homes in Vicenza, Italy, and I've had a chance to talk with the residents. I think we're getting our arms around it. Uh, in the early weeks, we set up a 1-800 hotline for people with problems that uh, they weren't able to have resolved by their landlords, if you will. Uh, we had town halls. Uh, we immediately jumped on work orders. We began hiring up our own quality assurance, quality control people. And at this point, we've uh, moved pretty far in terms of setting up uh, everything from apps on one's phones that gives you greater work order transparency to improving customer service. The hard work really comes here in the, in the coming months. Uh, we have established a tenant bill of rights, which is going through final staffing right now. And once we finalize that bill of rights, then we have to do what we have to do is translate those rights into uh, uh, a new agreement, lease agreement between the tenant and the resident that will uh, really help uh, our families a, a good deal. And then between the Army as an enterprise and, the, uh, and these private companies that run our housing, we need to reset what the incentive fees and, and structures, all that looks like. So uh, much more work to do, but I, I feel we've come a long way. And uh, for the Army, again, culturally, what we need to do is get back into our DNA, the notion that we will inspect barracks and we will visit homes and we will pay much, much closer attention to the living conditions of our families. How are you ensuring that uh, retaliation isn't an issue? That was something that also came up for a lot of soldiers. Yeah, so we have to be, uh, we're very cognizant of that. The retaliation that was mentioned was not retaliation necessarily by a service member, but by the company themselves. And so we've, uh, part of the hotline is to make sure that uh, 
uh, if people encounter that, they uh, they can report it immediately. Uh, we've had our IG out there doing a, uh, an inspection uh, to make sure that we know what's happening. If I get any reports of uh, retaliation, and we've we've had a few, we track them down, we investigate them soon. So we're very uh, uh, diligent on that front to make sure that we're well aware of anybody who who claims that there's some retaliation that just will not be tolerated. How's the contracts with these um, private companies, these private housing companies, going to work for the future? From what I understand, these were 50-year contracts that the Army and the other services were, were under. Are you considering renegotiating those, or is it more of an issue with the management companies themselves? I think it's more at this point the issue with the management companies. The the, the, the real issue has been customer service. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's anything from timeliness of uh, every worker showing up to uh, the, the, the qualifications of the worker to perform the work, to s- simply how you treat uh, our families. Are you courteous? Um, are you respectful? It's, it's the transparency of the work order process. It's those types of things where we got to focus on, and that's where we've put a lot of work. So at this point, what, we're, what we want to do at the, at the enterprise level is really uh, restructure the agreements between a garrison and the company that, that owns and runs the housing so that we get the incentives right and we know that we are rewarding the right thing. So clearly in this case, we need to put more emphasis on, on uh, customer service going forward. Uh, there's some other things, but that's kind of one way we plan on addressing it. Right. So is there any sort of uh, idea or, or thought to actually renegotiate the 50-year contracts? I don't point? think at this point. I mean, if, if you step back, um, Army housing uh, today is generally better than what it was in my day. Uh, since it was privatized. Again, the, the mistake was everybody took their eye off the ball when it came to day-to-day maintenance, uh, work orders, things like that. But I think overall, the folks who've been in the Army quite a long time would say that the privatization um, initiative was successful, but we need to stay on top of the, the uh, private sector landlords uh, to, to make it work really well and make sure that we're living up to the expectations. And until that model proves a failure, uh, we're going we're gonna to continue to make it work. Right. Uh, I want to move on to recruitment, um, something mm-hmm. that in 2018 wasn't the best year for the Army. You missed some of your goals. And since then, Frank Muth and, and some of the other um, generals in charge of that have changed their sort of strategy to do that. They're visiting 22 new cities. Um, what are you doing uh, as, as the secretary to, mm-hmm. to recruit? And then also, you know, how is the Army sort of reaching these Generation Z and these new uh, sort of generation of, of soldiers. Yeah, so, you know, to, to be clear, last year we, we set a very high bar of 80,000, which Congress adjusted down to 76,000. And uh, we ended up at 70,000, which was still, interestingly, the highest level we had had in 10 years. Hmm. And then you couple that with the fact that we had the highest retention ever in about as many years as well. So we, we in many ways, it was a very good year for the Army on, on the end strength side. But nonetheless, we did miss by a few thousand the, the mark we had set on the wall. So, uh, you know, we, we looked at that. We stepped back and realized we need to make a number of changes. So you're right. We uh, had about two dozen initiatives led by the new head of Recruiting Command, General Muth. It's everything from uh, upgrading our storefronts where we recruit from to changing them. It was uh, hiring hundreds of new recruiters and putting them on the streets. It was uh, the major initiative moving to what we call the Focus 22 Cities. Those are... 22 of America's largest cities, many in areas where, we, where we've often been challenged to recruit from, and really doubling down and going back into the places where 
America's young men and women are. So I, I've visited Boston and Cleveland and Pittsburgh and L.A. and Atlanta. I've gone all around meeting with governors and mayors and, and school board members to, to kind of open up the doors to kind of spread the Army's message. And there, there are a dozen or so more as well. You know, we're, we uh, we're overhauled our recruiting, uh, I'm sorry, our marketing and, and branding. We should have new commercials coming out. Uh, we're reaching online through social media much more aggressively and, and, and going to that sp space to find America's youth. So I'm, I'm very excited about the progress made today. We still got a lot more to go. And right now we're on track to meet our goals for, uh, for this year. Do you think that the Army can be a 21st century employer and provide the quality of life that, um, that soldiers really want uh, when you, you have a, a volunteer force? Yeah, in fact, I think we can do, we, we offer more than what most civilian employers offer. I mean, one of the challenges we have today is that this is the best economy in 50 years right. in terms of employment. So, so young uh, high school graduates, which is 95% plus of what we will accept into the Army, have more options. And so what we have to do is be more competitive out there. And what I like to tell parents and school board members is, is this. If, if, you, uh, if you don't think you're ready for, the, for college, uh, if you don't have the money for college, or you're unsure, come uh, visit us and uh, we present several options for you. Uh, we have over 150 career fields. Uh, you can get uh, a multi-thousand dollar bonus for signing up. Uh, we offer a 401k, we offer medical benefits, dental benefits, we offer tuition assistance to the tune of $4,000 plus a year. Uh, we'll teach you a skill, uh, which in many cases you can take and uh, we'll, we'll give you a, a commercial license to do it take it out into the private sector if you only stay for a few years. So I think there are a lot of benefits to serving. And if you if you serve for a few years, what employers also like that will make you stand out amongst your peers is the fact that we've taught you things like discipline and commitment and, uh, and, and duty and showing up on work on time and leadership and management, all those things, those intangibles that employers really look for that make a difference. Mark Esper is the Secretary of the Army, speaking there with our DOD reporter, Scott Massioni. Another short break here, and we will get a little deeper into some of the technology development issues we started talking about with Secretary Esper at the top of the show. Major General Cedric Wins, the commander of Army Combat Capabilities Development Command, joins us to talk through some of the latest developments on artificial intelligence and machine learning. That's next on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. This is on DoD. I'm Jared Serviz. Back on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. This is on DOD. I'm Jared Serbu. Earlier in this week's show, in our conversation with Army Secretary Mark Esper, we talked about how and why the Army has set up the new Futures Command in Austin to bring together all the various institutions that have a hand in Army modernization under one coherent command structure. One of those organizations is the Combat Capabilities Development Command. Up until the stand-up of Futures Command, it was called the Research Development and Engineering Command. One of the main focus areas for the rechartered organization is artificial intelligence and machine learning. Major General Cedric Wins is the commander of CCDC. He talked with me by phone about where AI fits into the Army's modernization strategy, both near-term and long-term. Because of the vastness of the various different applications where artificial intelligence could enable the warfighter, we have focused as a result of the guidance that we got from our senior leaders on those areas that are consistent with the modernization priorities. So obviously uh, the next generation combat vehicle, 
uh, future vertical lift, the long-range precision fires, and on and on. Uh, those are the broader key areas. Specific in those, I'd probably highlight a couple. One of them is certainly the work that we are doing uh, to bring about the leader-follower technology, which is being run out of our next-generation ground vehicle system center up in uh, Warren, Michigan. The work uh, we've been doing, you know, it started a while ago, but we've gotten to a point where we have developed the technology such that you can obviously have manned platforms uh, following in tandem uh, as a result of the technology uh, where they can navigate on both improved and unimproved services um, to enable or enhance the ability to provide long-distance logistics uh, and things of that nature. So that's clearly one of the area areas. I think in the area of uh, logistics and sustainment, that's an area where if you're going to look for the best breakthroughs, uh, those are the areas where initially there's a focus. However, um, there are other areas that uh, get more towards the other priorities that uh, are designed to increase lethality uh, for the soldiers. So aided target recognition uh, is another uh, key area uh, through the use of intelligent fire control systems. So this is where artificial intelligence can assist the soldier in the engagement process up to the point of uh, when the trigger uh, and the decision on whether you pull the trigger gets made by the operator as opposed to uh, an algorithm or, or a, um, an artificial intelligence means. But uh, it allows them to uh, reduce the decision cycle and increase uh, the situational awareness and uh, the target identification better. Uh, so those are two key areas. I think in the area of um, uh, one of the other modernization priorities of synthetic training environment, one that's akin to that is this early synthetic prototyping effort that we do where uh, we are in collaboration with the Futures and Concepts folks uh, that uh, were formerly ARCIC. Uh, to collaborate uh, with our Ground Vehicle Systems Center and the Army Research Lab, two organizations that are under CCDC, using a virtual environment that mimics or is very closely resembles the environment of uh, a real-world terrain, real-world environment to allow soldiers to uh, use the capability and see what advances can be made with artificial intelligence capability and how you learn and adapt um, that AI through a series of demonstrations and training events and repetitions uh, to see how much more artificial intelligence can enable a platform and can enable a soldier. Let me pick up on just one of those focus areas that you mentioned, which is logistics and sustainment. And if I was tracking you ac accurately, it seemed like your sense is that that's the area where you, you've got potentially the the quickest wins or the, the, the area where you apply AI most near term. Is, is that right? And if so, why? Is it just because the commercial technology is, is kind of there and it's not so much in the other areas? Yeah, so I, I think that's really the key. The key is that this is an area where ideally the military is not going to lead because uh, industry is already so far out ahead uh, in the use of artificial intelligence technology 
uh, in those areas that, you know, we want to be an adopter of a lot of the ideas, but then we want to also be able to make sure that we can en enhance the technology so that it has a better military use. And so when you think about uh, some of the technologies that are already out there, they are more in line, I believe, with uh, areas of, um, of uh, logistics and sustainment, not to mention the fact that uh, in those areas, as opposed to a more active use of artificial intelligence in a combat environment, is you're really looking at something that's more of an action, and you're going to get an outcome or an output uh, in the logistics sustainment arena. So say, for example, you were using some artificial intelligence uh, to maneuver in a logistics support area. Uh, those activities um, are fairly repetitive, fairly routine. You're taking away some of the dull and dirty tasks. Whereas um, if you start talking about uh, using artificial intelligence for target recognition, for conducting uh, more sophisticated or more challenging uh, operations where the artificial intelligence mechanisms and algorithms you design kind of have to be prepared to react or respond to an activity by a threat actor, those are probably going to be a little bit more challenging, I would say. I wonder if you have any specific examples in mind about the, those dull and dirty tasks that you mentioned. Are, are there specific areas where you think robots enabled by AI will be able to take over things that soldiers are doing today? Sure, sure. I think uh, one of the most obvious ones would be when you're using uh, material handling equipment. So, for example, if you're moving uh, large, heavy-weighted pieces of equipment or ammunition or subsistence or fuel, for example, different classes of supply, and you're having to move them across um, a support area, uh, or having to move them, transload them from a vehicle carrier to a uh, vehicle platform. Those types of activities are the types of activities that I think that uh, artificial intelligence, uh, as is used in commercial operations right now, would be readily uh, suitable for using in military operations uh, of that type. Um, but again, as I said, you, you get a little bit more challenged when you start uh, trying to incorporate things where um, you have to make adjustments and be responsive to what an enemy might do because the enemy's certainly going to get a vote in, in most operations that you're providing. I, yeah, and I'm, I'm interested in your thoughts about how exactly how you go about blending commercial AI algorithms and, and advances in that space with the things that the Army would need to do to specialize to, to create combat capability. I mean, I, th I think basically what you said earlier is in the logistics and sustainment area, a lot of that can probably just be taken off the shelf. But but how do you integrate a really good commercial algorithm with whatever you need to do to augment that for, for combat purposes? Sure, sure. So I, I think, um, so say for example, if you if you, the leader follower technology uh, that we've developed. I think a lot of uh, algorithms, particularly when you talk about a set or suite of um, vehicles, uh, heavy vehicles uh, maneuvering down an improved road surface, uh, is something that would be readily uh, common in the commercial space. Um, I think, um, you know, transport companies 
are probably doing some of that already to some degree. Uh, for us, that would be an example of being able to take uh, a set of algorithms that are already fairly mature, that are already fairly uh, able to account for the various different variations that might occur operating on a road where a vehicle comes beside you, a vehicle moves in front of you, a vehicle uh, crosses your path. I'm sure there are things and algorithms that account for that. But then if you have to now take that same convoy of vehicles and move them to an unimproved surface, okay, that's where it becomes a little bit more of a challenge for the military, and that's where we have to be able to take those algorithms or develop a new set of algorithms that account for the activities associated with operating on unimproved surfaces, take into account what actions you might have to take if the convoy is attacked, uh, take into account what actions the convoy may have to take or would have to react or respond to if some type of cyber or electronic warfare intrusion were to occur. That's Major General Cedric Wins, the commander of Army Combat Capabilities Development Command. He's back with us for a few more minutes to talk about how CCDC's role in AI fits with the rest of the Army's modernization strategy. After one more break, this is On DoD on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm Jared Serbio. Thanks for listening to Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. This is on DOD. I'm Jared Serbu. Major General Cedric Wins is with us for this part of the program. He's the commander of Army Combat Capabilities Development Command. He joined me by phone from Aberdeen Proving Ground in Maryland to talk about the Army's current thinking around emerging AI and machine learning technologies. I want to move a little bit beyond the technologies themselves and, and talk with you a little bit about how the big organizational changes that the Army has, has made lately might enable all of this. I mean, RDECOM, your pre predecessor organization, certainly worked a lot in AI, but I wonder how the, the shift to working underneath Army Futures Command has altered your focus, if it has, and, and, and again, how that's enabled you to work with other Army organizations that are going to need to adopt all the good stuff you're coming up with. Sure. So I think what it's done for us, at least up to this point, and, and again, we're still working through those activities uh, that we would have to do, is it's, it's brought us closer under one uh, hat, if you will, one enterprise that's responsible for the full breadth of, of modernization. Uh, and so the activities that we do in S&T, uh, both in the form of uh, foundational research and more advanced technology development by working or being a part of Army Futures Command, it allows us to work more closely with uh, the folks that are leading the Army's modernization priorities, the, the cross-functional teams, to be a part of their team, if you will, by providing experts to them so they understand the state of technology, what's being developed inside of Army labs, and what's being developed in concert with industry partners and with academia. Um, by having us closer together and working closer together, it helps us have a better understanding of, number one, what the state of technology is, uh, number two, how fast is that technology maturing, 
and then it helps us shape and inform the development of those requirements that typically drive our uh, our acquisition process. Um, likewise, when it comes to working with uh, the folks on the material development side, the, the, the PEOs and the PMs, we're working to better understand and better solidify uh, the timelines that might be associated with an acquisition strategy and how we can best ensure that technology that's being developed inside of an Army lab can mature, uh, can be fully integrated, and can perform at the levels that the PMs and the PEOs would require so that uh, they're comfortable uh, that the cutting of that technology will give the Army the best capability uh, that they have uh, been charged with in their programs. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but but part of what you're saying sounds to me like the, it's, it's focus the lab's work on outcomes that are eventually going to go into a program to a greater extent and, and a little bit less of doing basic S&T for the sake of basic S&T. Is that fair? Uh, absolutely. Um, more than anything, it has given the labs a focus uh, based on an understanding of uh, potential threat actors, uh, the operational environment that we would see ourselves uh, fighting in in the future, uh, and being able to inject the understanding of where and what the direction is of technology development is for the Army so the Army doesn't find itself flat-footed in um, uh, knowing what the most cutting-edge technology is, what the most military-relevant technology is uh, that can ensure that our systems uh, have the overmatch. Uh, that we need in any type of conflict that we may have to be faced with. You are certainly involved in, in basic S&T to a large degree, obviously, though, and, and, and this gets me to a partnership that you just signed with Carnegie Mellon last month, I believe, where uh, you're going to invest about $72 million in that partnership, I believe. What, what sorts of problems will the Army be asking academia to solve, and, and more broadly, what's academia's role in everything you're trying to do in AI? Sure. Sure. So that, that effort that you spoke about, uh, you're absolutely right. It is about a $72 million investment over a five-year period. Uh, and it was started under the CCDC ARL's Open Campus Initiative. So we started these Open Campus Initiatives uh, back um, several years ago. And uh, one of the Open Campuses was established up in the Northeast. Uh, and it's that uh, relationship that we're looking to uh, leverage the expertise that exists within Carnegie Mellon uh, as a result of an agreement that was reached in 2018 uh, through a CRADA, Cooperative Research Development uh, Agreement. We think that uh, because of their expertise, we're looking to make advancements in fundamental research uh, that will enable distributed shared understanding of things like autonomous maneuver, uh, help facilitate better human and uh, AI teaming, so man-machine teaming, um, being able to uh, come up with counters or adversarial understanding so that we can defeat an enemy's artificial intelligence capability, uh, the ability to 
autonomously f operate and function our networks so that they are adaptable to any types of threat that might uh, come upon them through electromagnetic or cyber events. Uh, those are some of the type of things that we're trying to do uh, in addition to areas where we're looking to uh, ensure that the soldier on the ground has better situational awareness and situational understanding and um, can be more responsive to the understanding of a threat and uh, how to, uh, to counter or defeat a threat um, through the use of uh, AI technology that helps enable their ability to see that threat actor and what that threat actor might be doing. So it sounds like the Army is going to present to these institutions pretty discrete, I'll say capability gaps, for lack of a better term, and, and ask for specific solutions to those rather than just saying, hey, academia, please go work on AI for us and let us know what you come up with. Yes, yes. I, I think um, the, the, that's probably been the most significant shift uh, in the last two years within the Army is to better focus our efforts. Uh, better focus our partners uh, and better focus and define kind of the outputs and the outcomes that we're looking to get out of the Army's investment in these particular areas. I want to finish by just asking you to look in your crystal ball for a little bit and, and, and give us your sense of how far off some of these potentially game-changing technologies might be. I mean, you said we're basically there in terms of, of logistics and sustainment, but what's what's the next big hill you're going to climb and, and, and possibly achieve some successes in the AI space uh, in the next two, three, five, ten years? Yeah, so, so I definitely think that uh, a lot of these technologies, um, we... Uh, can see them on the horizon out to about 10 years. Um, and I think that a lot of them uh, will probably begin to manifest themselves in Army capabilities over the next 10 years uh, through increments. Uh, and so you probably won't see the full capability of, uh, of uh, what we really, really uh, will need in using AI, and because of the, the way technology moves so fast, uh, that incremental approach uh, makes sense. But I think what you'll probably see is you'll probably see uh, some in the area of uh, how our uh, ground platforms function and operate, both combat uh, and tactical wheeled platforms. Uh, I think uh, you'll see that in the area of um, some of our combat platforms, ground platforms, in terms of uh, their ability to identify and recognize uh, targets, uh, how it can inform operators to come up with solutions more quickly. Uh, I think uh, that um, in the area of active protection, um, much of which uh, is already on a number of um, friendly nations' capability. I think um, you'll probably start to see some of that uh, on our platforms as well, both ground and air platforms. And uh, I think that um, probably in the area of uh, intelligence, through the use of sensors, through the use of uh, ISR platforms, um, you'll start to see uh, solutions and advances made in, in those areas as well. We represent a part of the team 
that is going to uh, bring about um, the advancements in artificial intelligence, I believe, for the Army. Uh, and certainly within uh, the S&T community, uh, all the S&T executing organizations um, that extend beyond the command of CCDC are going to play a huge role in that. Uh, the other piece, or the other really lead element that's going to be very, very uh, crucial in that is the, the uh, AFC's AI Task Force. Uh, and the, the AI Task Force um, and the work that they're doing, working very, very closely with uh, the folks at Carnegie Mellon, is being um, supported or enabled by a lot of the work and the technical expertise that I have within the uh, Army Research Lab and the other centers that are a part of CCDC. They are the ones very similar to the uh, cross-functional team leads. They are the ones that have been charged uh, with kind of identifying for the Army uh, where the, the greatest gains uh, can and should be made and then what, it, what it's going to take to get there. Major General Cedric Wins is the commander of Army Combat Capabilities Development Command. He joined us by phone from Aberdeen Proving Ground to talk about CCDC's role in implementing AI and machine learning technologies for the Army. Before that, an extended conversation with Mark Esper, the Army Secretary. If you missed that part of the show, you can find the entire program, as always, at federalnewsnetwork.com slash on DOD or in our podcast feed. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Podcast One. That's it for this week's edition of On DoD. Thanks as always for tuning in. I'm Jared Serbia. So long. You've been listening to On DoD on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Tune in Wednesday mornings at 11 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.